So turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 13, Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew is, uh, is writing the story of Jesus, as you know, but he's writing it to Jews. He's not writing it to the people John wrote to or Luke wrote to or Mark wrote to. It's this particular group of people, the Jews, who were anticipating the Messiah would come and replace King David. That's what they were anticipating. That's what they were expecting. They were excited, looking forward to that. And Matthew is saying, Jesus is that Messiah. He is the king. So everything Matthew talks about is from the perspective of writing to the Jews about the king who's about to come and reestablish his, his kingdom on the earth. So I want to share a series of stories, and we're at part two here uh, this morning, that we're, where it talks about a king or the kingdom. And when we're talking about the kingdom, we're talking about what you and I would see as the church, the spiritual body of Christ. When, when the saints come together, amazing things happen. So I want us to, to see what Jesus is looking at when he's talking about the church. And we're going to start this morning in chapter 13 of Matthew. This is a parable that Jesus gave. And as the reason he gave parables was he was giving a simple story everybody would understand but there's a much deeper message in that story that not everybody can understand. Spiritual people can get it because of the spiritual foundation they have, but, but the other people couldn't get it. They did not understand what he was saying. So let's look at this parable, and then we're going to look at Jesus' explanation of the parable. It starts in uh, verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. In other words, some people had ears, but they couldn't hear. They, they, they just they weren't in tune spiritually. So a little bit later, Jesus takes his disciples aside and explains to them the mystery that he just gave them. And this is what I love about being a Christian. Jesus always has time to take me aside and explain to me the things I don't understand. He always has time to take you aside. Please don't be too busy so he can't take you aside. Let him explain to you what he's really trying to say to you at this point in your life. So we're going to pick up our story later in chapter 13, down in verse 18. Jesus says this just to his disciples. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, see there's that word. He's talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. 
When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. This, this, uh, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. It's pretty clear from this parable that Jesus gave explaining the kingdom that the kingdom of God, the spiritual relationship we all have with him is about multiplication, expansion, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. That's talking multiplication. What begins small grows and multiplies. And we're supposed to apply that to the church. We're supposed to apply that to our spiritual relationships, our spiritual connections. God expects us to produce a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Now, sometimes this parable of the sower is also called parable of the soils because he describes four different kinds of soils. The seed that falls along the path, the seed that falls on rocky places, the seed that falls among thorns, and the seed that falls on good ground. Now, apparently, the farmer in our parable isn't real careful about where the seed goes. He doesn't target a particular group of people and say, I'm going to sow the seed over here. He just scatters it out everywhere. Some of it lands on not so good soil. Some of it lands among the thorns. Can't the farmer be more targeted than that? We're talking about God who doesn't care where the seed goes. He just casts it out there. That's why we don't have guards posted at the door saying, are you a sinner? <laughs> we want those people to come in. I don't care how dysfunctional or broken or full of whatever people's lives are. I want them to be exposed to the word of God. So he expects a return because the purpose of the farmer sowing seed, who is God, is to produce a crop. He's not interested in getting his seed back. He's interested in producing a crop of seeds. Multiplication, expansion. This is where God's heart is. 
Now they say in America today, the average family has 2.5 kids. Now, Anita and I, we have raised three kids. And I'm not about to guess which one's only half there. No, I won't do it. I got my suspicions, though. So if Anita and I have 2.5 kids, then when we get together for Christmas, we got five people there. If each of those five have two and a half kids, then you got 12 and a half people coming to your house for birthday parties. If each of those have two and a half, that multiplies to 31 and a quarter kids. Or I shouldn't say kids, people, people, family members. One more generation and you've got a family reunion of 78 relatives all coming together. You can't get 78 people in your house. You've got to rent a hall someplace. That's multiplication. And that's for families that just have two and a half kids. We've got families in our church that have a whole lot more than that. <laughs> multiplication. You see, my wife and I can only add but the next generation multiplies. And the next generation multiplies beyond that. This is exponential growth. This is how God sees the church. A hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, he expects multiplication. Jesus is saying this. So I want to share in the time we have four things from our story that determine multiplication. Why is it that some have a hundred percent return and others have sixty percent and still others thirty percent? And we all know some have one or two percent. What makes the difference? What's the determining factor here? So I'm going to share four of these. Here's number one. Multiplication is determined by Sowing. How much seed is the farmer going to sow? And where is he going to get that seed? And what's he going to do with it once he's got it? If you're going to sow seed in your life, you got to get up off your seat. You have to do something. You have to sow. If you don't sow, a farmer that doesn't sow any seed is going to get 0% return. He knows that. So he works all winter getting ready for the spring because that's planting season. We got to sow. Two stories come to mind here in the, the Gospel of Matthew where he talks about multiplication. One of them is the, uh, the story where Jesus was teaching a bunch of people and they were far from the nearest restaurant and there was no place to go get food and the people were weary and Jesus asked his disciples, how are we going to take care of all these people? They all come out to hear me. I want them to be able to hear me. But they're hungry. We're going to lose them if we don't take care of that. 
So they said, well, we, there's no way. We don't have enough money in the treasury to feed all these people. We can't do this. We did find, however, five loaves of barley bread. It wasn't the bread like you get at Kroger that's puffed full of air. It's pretty flat stuff, flat bread. Five loaves and two fish. But there's 5,000 people. How are we going to divide five flat barley loaves and two fish? I don't care how big the fish is. You got to divide it among 5,000 people. Big task, big assignment. How are we going to do this, Lord? Bring me the five loaves and the two fish. And Jesus took them and he broke them. You know, you got 5,000 people. You can't just give a fish to numbers one and two. You got to divide this up. You got to break it down. So Jesus broke the bread, broke the fish. We don't know how he broke it, but he broke it, prayed, thanked God for it, gave it to his disciples who were all full of doubt. They were the ones asking, how, how can we afford to do this? How can we feed all them? He gave it to the doubters and he said, go give it to the people, break it up. So he's got 12 disciples. They each have a little bit of bread. They each have a little bit of fish. And away they go out working through the crowds. Giving a little bit to this one, a little bit to that one, a little bit to this one. And as they distributed, as they sowed the seed, as they got up and went and did it, as they were serving others, a miracle happened. And they kept giving it out and giving it out and giving it out. And when they got done feeding everybody and everybody was satisfied, they collected leftovers and they had more leftovers than they had to start with. How did that happen? Multiplication. God multiplied it because people were willing to sow the seed. I believe God will return to a local church to individual believers, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. But we got to sow the seed. We've got to go and be a part of the service process. The other story is a story that's known as the parable of the talents. Jesus gave five talents. And by the way, a talent was a monetary amount. The New International Version, this is in chapter 25 of Matthew, the New International Version uses the term bags of gold, which I suppose helps explain the story. Five bags of gold to one servant, two bags of gold to the second servant, and one bag of gold to the third servant. Apparently, not all the servants were productive or he didn't expect them to be productive. But he gave them out in differing amounts. I'm glad the King James uses the word talents because that's much broader than just money. Some of us have talents that really do fit into the story. Five talented people, two talented people, and a one talent person. But everybody's got a talent because he gives gifts to everybody, right? He says, I'm going on a journey. I want you to take this bag of gold, this talent, and I want you to go invest it. 
Make it work for you. Sometime later, he comes back. And the first guy comes with a wheelbarrow full of 10 bags of gold. And he said, I took your five bags of gold. I invested it. And now here's 10 bags of gold. It's your money. You put it in my care. I'm giving it back to you. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You're going to be blessed. And the second servant comes and he said, master, you gave me two bags of gold. I went out and invested it. I doubled the money times two multiplication. And here's the four bags of gold back to you. And the master said the same thing. Good job. The third master or the third servant came up and he said, master, I knew you're a hard nut to crack. I knew you're a hard taskmaster and you hold us accountable. I knew that. And I didn't want to see that bag of gold get lost. So I took it and I buried it and I hid it and I kept it safe. Here's your bag of gold back. He said, you wicked servant, I told you to go and do business with it. I told you to invest it. I told you to go produce a crop, and you just kept it safe. He said, you are fired. Take that bag of gold and give it to the other guys, because they'll do something with it. Multiplication is determined by sowing. Are we doing anything with our gifts? That's the question we have to deal with. Here's the second factor determines the multiplication. Multiplication is determined by the soil quality. That's why these farmers will go out and they'll do soil samples and they'll have it measured and they'll find out, okay, where's the soil rich and where's the soil pretty poor and we'll put in the... The, the proper chemical to, to shore up that, that soil so it produces a crop, soil quality. Some people have good soil quality. Others are surrounded by thorns. Or they're, so they're, they're hard and dry and the seed can't get rooted. But God knows how to improve the soil quality. What's a farmer do before he plants? He's got to rip that soil up. Run a plow through it. Ouch! God knows how to improve our soil quality. He'll just run a disc right through us, right through our heart. Oh, I hate that. And a lot of people run away from God. But God's trying to prepare the soil so that he can plant a seed and it will grow and we will multiply and produce a crop. Soil quality. A couple of things I want to share, scriptures I found that I think uh, uh, speak to us about this soil quality thing. In Exodus chapter 7 verse 3 we read this. God says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. Two things connected here. 
Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. And the harder his heart gets, the more miracles God's going to send. You want to see signs and wonders? You want to see miracles? Just get hard. Because God will send signs and wonders. He'll send plagues into your life. He'll see things that would have never happened in the natural. Same thing happens, you know, if I do submit. But God is about producing a crop. And he's got to prepare our hearts so that that seed can take root and grow. The, the more the world resists the good news, the more signs and wonders God will send to back it up. Because he intends to produce a crop. One way or another. Here's the second scripture I want us to see. This is in Acts chapter 12, verse 24. It said, but the word of God grew and multiplied. How do you multiply the word of God? It must be more people proclaiming it, more people believing in it, more people declaring it. We're not talking about Bibles. We're talking about insight, God's revelation, his revealing himself to people. It's going to expand. It's going to grow. It's going to multiply. It's determined by soil quality. And you and I can prepare the soil to receive the seed he wants to give us. We're not just talking about the uh, saying a sinner's prayer for the first time. We're talking about your continual spiritual growth. I need seed sown in my life seasonally. I need it again and again and again because I'm not where I used to be. You're not where you used to be. We need a new kind of seed. We need a new word from God. Here's the third thing that determines uh, multiplication. Multiplication is determined by seasons. A farmer can sow his seed any time of the year. But he's got a pretty good idea from experience. There are certain times a year that he's going to get a better crop than other times. You can, go, you can go plant a field right now, this time of year, if you want to probably not going to get a very good crop. But a farmer knows when to plant, when to put that seed in the ground. Each of us have seasons, don't we? I can tell by looking that a lot of us have had a whole lot of seasons. <laughs> Every year, is a new season. It's a new beginning, new possibilities. We have a birthday party and everybody comes and I, we get to say, now I'm this many years old. It changed. I'm different than I was last year. It's a new season. And the more seasons you get under your belt, the more you see you are different in these different seasons. I had a whole lot more energy in the early seasons than I do now. But then again, I got a whole lot more wisdom now than I had back then. There's different seasons we go through. A generation is a season. A year is a season. 
Every weekend is a season. I have an opportunity to stand up here this morning and preach a sermon to you that was better than last Sunday. Because nobody knows better than me what I messed up last week. And I want to do it better this time. I get another chance every weekend to improve. And then the Bible also says that his mercies are new every morning. Every morning it's a new opportunity for a fresh start. I'm able to sit up in my bed and swing my legs up over the side of the bed and say, God, it's a new day. Be with me. Open doors. Show me the way you want me to go. It's a whole new start. Multiplication is determined by seasons. If a farmer puts one kernel of corn in the ground, he expects a corn stalk with multiple ears of corn on it, full of corn. He expects to multiply his seed. And if he takes those kernels of corn from those ears and waits for the next season and plants them all, he multiplies exponentially. Jesus is saying, this is what the church is supposed to be. This is what our spiritual lives are supposed to be. In Genesis chapter 22, verses 17 and 18, God said to Abraham, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Something had been put into motion here. God says, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to multiply you and you're going to be multiplied. Abraham received the Abrahamic covenant, but he never saw it fulfilled in his lifetime. His descendants did. You see this seasonal thing? What Abraham sowed, his descendants reaped, multiplied many times over. I believe that same thing is true in our lives. What well, the seed we sow in our lifetime down here, we won't see a lot of the results of that. It's the next generation that will see it, and the next generation after that. And the more generations walk in the grace of God, the better the next generation gets it because it's already something been planted. But each new generation gets to make up their own mind, don't they? Each of my children have to make their own decisions, but I'm going to do everything I can to prepare the soil in their life as a parent. Some uh, couple years ago, I was, I woke up in the middle of the night. I'm sure I'm not the only one that does that. And I rolled over to try to get back to sleep. And as I was laying there on my pillow in that half asleep, half awake zone, I was looking up at the ceiling, and over in the co one corner, I saw some movement, and I, I looked at it, and it was these little tiny worms, about a half inch long, black, 
caterpillar kind of things, and they're all just moving all over the place in this circular pattern, moving around up there, and they're making a web. They're making a nest. And I was watching that and looking at that, and I was thinking, I got to get rid of them. And I remember laying there trying to debate, should I get up out of bed and clean those out now, or should I get back to sleep, get a good night's sleep, and take care of it in the morning? Next morning, I woke up, and I got out of bed, and that, that dream came back to me. You know, sometimes you can't remember what you dreamed about, and other times it's just right there, vivid. It was vivid, and I, I remember looking up at the ceiling to see if it was there. There wasn't anything there. It was a dream, but it was a very real dream to me, and I felt God speak to me and say, if you don't clean that nest of worms out of your life, it's going to get bigger, and they're going to multiply. And I thought, wow, God just spoke to me. I love it when God speaks to me. And then I had to say, what's my nest of worms? What is it you're speaking to me about, God? And I'm not so sure God didn't remind me of that this morning to share with you, because maybe God is saying to you, if you don't clean that nest of worms out of your life, it's going to multiply, it's going to get bigger and bigger until it's too big, and you can't get rid of it. If, that, if that's you, grab a hold of it. Here's the fourth area that determines multiplication. Multiplication is determined by shepherding. Shepherding. If you have a garden, shepherding is called gardening. You pull up the weeds. You put fertilizer on it. You water it. If your livelihood comes by operating a machine, it's called PM, preventive maintenance. Change the oil. Put grease in desserts. If you're in the healthcare field, it's called continuing education, learning the new tricks of the trade. In the church, it's called discipleship, taking somebody by the hand and leading them down the spiritual journey they need to go. When they're going through troubled times, you sit down and you talk to them about it. You can't do this all by yourself. Discipleship comes when two people connect together or one in a group come together. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Did you follow his track of thought there? He says, the things that you've heard me say, in other words, I've already been teaching you. I've been discipling you. I've been spending time with you. Now, Timothy, I want you to take those things you've heard, and I want you to get together with a group of people and teach them the same thing. And then each of them will take another group of people and teach them the same thing. This is discipleship. This is what Jesus did with the twelve. This is the multiplication factor and how it plays out in the church. Jesus did it with the 12, 
And then the 12 did it with their disciples, and they all did it with their disciples. And here we are today, I'm still teaching you the things the Lord taught me. And I'm praying you grab a hold of that and do the same thing. If we do that, the church then, the word of God, the truth of God, is, just gets passed on from generation to generation, season to season. And it grows and it multiplies. And God, if we'll do that, God will give the increase a hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold. And we shouldn't be jealous about who's getting the hundredfold. Because if I produce 30-fold and I've done what God's called me to do, I get the same reward as somebody who returns a hundredfold. It's a matter of faithfulness. Matter of faithfulness. This is why we're starting up this group semester, because we're trying to give a platform for individuals like you and I to put our heads together and, and put our experiences together and spend time discipling other people. And you may say, well, I, I need disciple myself. I don't have anything to pass on to anybody. That's the devil's lie. God has taught you things through your experience with him, your walk with him. And there's always somebody who's not quite along as far as you are. That's discipleship, gathering those people. And I've discovered that I learn more than anybody else when I put a sermon together. Because when I prepare, I have to gather all this information, and then I have to narrow it down to what's appropriate for today with the group of people I'm talking to. Got to think about it. So the teacher always learns from the student. So how do I get into a group? What you do is you go online, mynewhope.in, and you click on the, the groups link, and it will take you to all the different groups. Uh, a semester is simply a time. It's a season where we say, now's, it, now's your opportunity to get involved. Here's where you do it. This is the sign-up period. This is the on-ramp. And so if you check that out, you see all these groups. If you're like me, and you'd rather take it home and think and process a little slower, uh, we printed all, a summary of all these groups in this little uh, booklet that you could take home with you. It's just black and white. It's real simple. If you get online, it's living color. You have to register online so that the group leader knows who's going to be in their group. But we have these right out there in the foyer. Just take one of these home, and on the inside is, I, I think, uh, did you tell me 55? About 50. About 50 different opportunities, serving opportunities. Uh, for those of you that are rather new, we, we use that A-G-O-S thing. A is activity groups. These are people that want to do something together. G is growth group. That's more like a class or Bible study. The O is outreach. You, you're, you're glad to be a part of the church, but you want to do something that reaches outside the church. Uh, that's an outreach group. And then there's serve teams. That's groups of people in our church that serve in one capacity or another. So take this home. Say, Lord, where do you want me connected? And decide. And then you got to get online to register. And if you're one of the folks that says, I don't know anything about getting online. I don't want to do that. 
then you stop at the kiosk and there'll be somebody at that kiosk that will show that will help you do it. Okay? Okay? All right, thank you. Let's stand together. We need to think multiplication. If we don't think multiplication, the natural default position for us is to think status quo. Stay where we are. Nobody sits in my seat. This is where I sit. This is the service I go to, and it's all about me connecting with God. And I want us to see God intends us to produce a crop. That's multiplication. We've got to think that way. If I don't think that way, I just regress. I get focused on myself. I have to keep making myself think. Expansion, outward bound, multiplication. That's the way God thinks. I want to think like God thinks. Yes. Yep. Amen? Amen? Precious Lord, thank you for your word teaching us about the kingdom as you see it. Our Father, we, we tend to try to squeeze the kingdom into our world. In reality, the, you want to you blow our world up. You want us to step into your world. And Father, we invite you to do that. Step into our world. Help us to think like your world. And do the work you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have prayer partners that will be here. If you have, need someone to agree with you in prayer, this is the place to do it. Go with God. He loves you.